Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, the place where you will get to know inspiring real-life women who dare to do the uncommon. They embrace who they are in their life's purpose, and most importantly, they thrive because of it. I am Olga Mueller, a personal success coach and speaker, passionate traveler, and unshakable believer that everyone deserves to live a life they love without ever having to feel guilty about it. Each week, I will introduce you to powerhouse women from all around the world to show you that you can create a fulfilling life you love, no matter the circumstances, personal history, or topic. Me and my fellow ladies are here to bust your fears, your feelings of guilt and shame, and boost your confidence to a whole new level where you are finally able to see that I can do it too. Get ready to dare, embrace, and thrive unapologetically with us. Let's do this. So, welcome to a new episode of the Thrive Podcast. Today, I'm really, really happy um, and excited to share the story of a really wonderful person. Um, her name is Jolene Swafford. She's living in Huntington Beach, California, and I met her last year in Australia when she shared her inspiring story um, at a Tony Robbins event there. Um, Jolene has been a businesswoman consultant and sales guru for over 25 years. And um, over the last decade, Jolene has devoted her energy to personal development in order to overcome the trauma of her past. She grew a six-figure coaching business in less than one year and is now a multiple six-figure coach. As a supernatural success mentor, Jolene combines her unrelenting faith with her business prowess to help others overcome limiting beliefs and build strategies to living a supernatural life themselves. So welcome to Yay. the show, Jolene. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm really excited to have you because <clears throat> I feel that this is going to help uh, really a lot of women out there um, just by learning how you were able to transform, uh, let's say, the story of your life, basically. I mean, it's probably fair to say that you have found for yourself this kind of safe, happy, sacred place in life. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so absolutely. At, at least from, at least, I mean... I only got to know you a, a little bit, like from when I heard your story last year, but over the last year that I've been following you, um, the things that you can really, you know, observe, it seems like you have found that place really from what you've been telling there, because I think for you, life hasn't always felt this way, like this happy, fulfilled, sacred kind of place, right? Um, right. Because even though you were successful quite early on, like in, let's say, in, the, in, in, in terms of money, in terms of hierarchy, in terms of, you know, the, the level of success that you've made. But <clears throat> what you shared is that um, all this success has actually like not given you this kind of fulfillment that you were seeking. And so I would be curious to see like, if you could take us back to that moment where this journey of, let's say, self-discovery and um, change has really started out for you, like what was going on in that moment and, yeah, what was going on in your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest part was when um, I had declined so much in my addiction to alcohol mm -hmm. that I had just, I just had to have a wake up call. <laughs> and so I was always kind of a social drinker and in my business and my life. And, you know, it was like kind of natural to, to be drinking and, you know, be around other people socially. And, um, I was always a, an achiever, you know, mm -hmm. I was like, I mean, when I was in corporate, the corporate world, I'm not even the same person that I was then. Like, I don't even know who I like that person. I think is what kept me alive. That mm. personality and that person kept me alive and kind of kicked butt and took names and, you know, and made a lot of progress in life. And so I'm super grateful for mm. her. But at the same time, she was ruthless. Like that girl, I mean, like in corporate America, for instance, climbing up the ladder mm -hmm. and you were talking about hierarchy. I mean, when people would quit or get fired above me, I'd just be like, Oh, well, one down, like, 
that means I'm closer to the top. Like I had zero emotion about it. It Mm -hmm. was all just about this achievement. Um, And then I reached my ultimate goal. I was 36 years old and I was a vice president in a large company and I had a big team and I had a big budget and I had a big salary and I had Mm -hmm. all these things. And I was like, I had two cars um, in in an SUV. I mean, I was like, a baller. That's what mm-hmm. we call it in the United States. <laughs> I don't know about Europe, but like I was balling. Like I had everything I could ever want. And so, um, but I wasn't happy. I was, and I noticed I was drinking even more and more then. So the biggest wake up call for me was the time when I went to the doctor and I had been so sick for such a long time. I'd been throwing up. I'd been mm really hungover, like take a normal hangover and multiply it by like 20. And I had that. And I was still going through my work day and I was still performing. I was still number one in sales in my company um, globally. And I was, but I was sick. I was just dying inside. And I went to the doctor and um, she was like, your liver is failing. And I was like, oh, I thought I had like a stomach, like a I don't know, some kind of bacterial infection or something. It's, it's you know? just the flu. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, thought, I thought I was so sick. And she goes, oh, no, your liver is failing. And um, and she said, you need to quit drinking today or you're going to be dead in five years. If you're lucky, five years, you'll, you'll live five years more. And I was like, what? And so it was in that moment of decision, mm-hmm. you know, And you and I both follow Tony Robbins. And he says that it's in the moments of decision that shape your destiny. Yeah. And it was in that moment I could have said, you know, no, I'm going to keep drinking and I'll figure it out, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people do. I mean, a lot of people do that. But in that moment, I decided that other people were more important than me. And that was like the first time. Like, honestly, I have to be honest with your Mm -hmm. audience. That was like the first time that I acknowledged really that other people around me, I, I, I stepped out of myself and imagined me not being here mm. and the impact that would make on other people. And so that moment I quit, I decided to stop drinking. And that's really where the journey started. And that was just five years ago. And intellectually, you, yeah, were you I'm actually sorry. aware, like, were you really aware of your problem? You just tried to ignore oh, yeah. it? Or <laughs> was that like, coming to the doctor? Was that like, an, It's somehow like a new shocking news, something like, what, what are you talking about? Or like you already, oh, no. it like, you knew what I was knew. going on. I knew, I knew. And, um, yeah, I knew I was drinking an entire bottle, a 750 milliliter bottle of vodka a day. So, and I'm 120 pounds on a heavy side. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a lot of liquor to be putting through my veins, um, day in and day out. And I'd probably been drinking like that for four years Mm -hmm. and fully functioning. And so, yeah, I mean, it was, I knew, um, I knew I just needed someone to tell me, I think I just couldn't make that decision a hundred percent myself. Like, I'm so glad I had this medical diagnosis, Mm -hmm. you know, I still have the lab reports. They're in my desk right now. I found them cleaning my drawer out (laughs) of, my first lab test and then my mm-hmm. after my I quit lab test of my liver. And so now my liver is 100%. It's like awesome. healthy as healthy as a newborn baby. So I'm really grateful for that. That's amazing. So what what do you think like really brought you to this dark place that like mm-hmm. you you, fo- you you followed what you basically thought would make you happy, right? That like the big dream, the big goal that sometimes Or probably most of us always hear like, you know, graduate, get a good job and then, you know, mm-hmm. become the manager or something like that. So you were following that. But like, what do you think yeah. has has really brought you to that place where you basically, you know, where you could even like operate, like you said, four years putting like this, uh, let's say, a toxic substance into your body every day? Yeah, I think. What brought me there was a couple of things. One, I was a pleaser. Like I wanted to please other people. And it seemed like there was never, I was never enough. I could never do enough to please my mother, my father, my sister, 
my family, my own self. Like mm-hmm. I could never please my expectations. So I think I set my expectations so high and I perceived, which is a key word because mm-hmm. my mom never put these high expectations on me. If you go talk to my sweet 72 year old mom right now, she'd be like, I never did that, but it was my perception. Mm-hmm. And I created this story that said, everybody expects me to be this person. I invented it. And then I invented this person to take care of that story, mm-hmm. to be the, the lead character, mm-hmm. um, to be the protagonist of the yeah. story, to save the day. And it ended up just being, I think, I never really addressed that. I never really found who I was and I was pretending to be somebody else. That's why like, I can totally relate to people who have um, differing, you know, feelings on their sexuality or, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, or maybe people who just have different multiple personalities. Like it's just, you're just trying to be somebody you're not can be really, really painful. And that's all I was doing. I was, because I was trying to be somebody I really wasn't and alcohol created this extra alter ego that protected even that other personality. Mm. So I was just putting on these layering on these grandiose personalities to accomplish this other, you know, mission that wasn't even my, my destiny, you know, it wasn't even my destiny to begin with. And so I think it was that, I think it was, um, through the work that I'd done with Tony Robbins, Mm -hmm. I've realized that I never really addressed my personal trauma that I experienced Mm -hmm. when I was younger. And so I think I never even linked the fact that I started drinking after that happened. So for your, yeah, I don't know, like for your listeners. And so this is a little bit of a, what do you call it? Like, you know, if you're sensitive to these things, but Mm -hmm. you know, um, when I was 14, I was gang raped at mm. a high school party and I was just barely a freshman and I was enticed to this party and I would, thought I was super cool. Like I, you know, it was the cool kids party. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I went to that party and then I ended up clearly being drugged somehow. And then that happened to me. And so, but I never really linked that. That's actually when I started drinking and I thought it was normal to drink when you're 14. Wow. Like I thought that was normal. I know it's not normal, but see, my ego said this is perfectly normal and acceptable for you to be drinking. Like this other, literally personality type person came out and said, "I got your back. We'll, you know, we're gonna fit in. We're gonna drink. Mm-hmm. That's never gonna happen to you again, right?" And so, gosh, like I'm kind of rambling a little, but it takes. It's so hard to explain. I mean, like I think I also drank because I was needed to fit in maybe Mm -hmm. when I was drinking I felt like I was I fit in more and so yeah it's just frustrating (laughs) if I if I hear you correctly then that basically that moment uh, at 14 years old let's say this this I don't want to call it a habit but let's say this vehicle rather of Mm. alcohol came into your life and it somehow pulled through then all the way through your corporate career life. Yeah. Until you hit that rock bottom moment sitting at the doctor's mm. office. Yeah. I went wow. through this peak where I fell in love with the girl who was drinking mm. because she was hot, man. She was beautiful. She wore sexy clothes, you know. <laughs> people, people held the door open for her. I mean, she owned the bar when she walked in. I mean, I loved her. I mean, she was she was hot, like And, um, and then it, over time, the poison you put in your body and your brain, you know, just like I would wake up and I would hate her in the morning, Mm. you know, I would love her at night, but I would hate her and I'd call her a loser and all sorts of bad things in the morning when I had to pay the price Mm -hmm. for that. And then it was that cycle day in and day out, day in and day out that, that was really that final like three or four years before I finally got diagnosed to with the liver failure. So it was really all a blessing. I think eventually I would have, I had been really um, aware of my problem and a couple of nights I had even driven myself to the emergency room, just Mm. kind of hoping, hoping that 
I drove myself to the emergency room hoping that they would just like keep me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? It's and like I this know it sounds crazy, but I, but I, I mean, I didn't have any experience with that, but just like having listened to, to some, some people like that sh- sharing their stories, like you're, you're trying to reach out for help but you can't go all the way in. So you're like somewhere there hoping that somebody will pick up the sign and be like, let's yeah. get you some help, right? Yeah, exactly. And that was finally my doctor, you know, she was very blunt and, you know, very. she didn't, she took like, had no compassion. She was like, this is the deal. And I was like, okay, I got it. Like she was not sugarcoating the situation mm-hmm. and I mean, literally that day I drove from her office to go to the psychiatrist who then helped me with my treatment. So, wow. And I just want to use this moment to really, you know, say thank you for being so open about sharing, you know, your story in such an open way, because I feel like this can be a problem for many women, like sexual abuse, addiction, because I feel like, you know, women are put on this huge expectation of always having to be perfect, you know, always having to do everything, not being, you know, not showing that it's costing you actually energy, effort, whatever. Um, Maintaining this image by itself is already so, such a huge challenge for everybody. But then having to admit to yourself, like to others, that you're, like that you went through something so traumatizing, it's like a whole nother level. So I'm so thankful that we have you here sharing, you know, your experience that I hope will um, allow others who are, who might be going through something similar to, you know, find help for themselves. Yeah. So may I ask you, like after the incident um, at 14 years old, like, What story had created in your head that, you know, maybe um, brought to life this kind of alterated or sexy version of Jolene or the version that was like, you know, just just going after what she wanted, no matter what? Mm -hmm. I think that first off, it was all completely subconscious. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't even remember thinking about that incident. Mm hmm. Again, after it happened, until I was 28 years old and I was watching an episode of Oprah Winfrey and I, something triggered my memories when I was watching that. It was basically erased, like completely suppressed, ignored. uh Wow. Yeah. I, I completely, some part of me put that in a little box and packed it away and it never existed again. Wow. But when I go back until I was 28 Mm -hmm. and then all the triggers came out and I was like, Oh shit, because something told me, oh sorry. Um it's something okay. told me that that was normal. Something said to myself, some I remember in a brief second that said mm-hmm. you caused that. You created that. You shouldn't have gone to that party. You knew better. You snuck mm-hmm. out of the house and I took all of the responsibility and then I was like, "All right, good." Like and and I rationalized it as being normal. Wow. At teenage behavior that mm-hmm. I, I screwed up. And so I just packed that away. And then I created like, I think completely subconsciously. And remember, this is mm-hmm. not all real time. Like this is, I'm 46 now. I'm looking back yeah. at my movie and in my movie, it became all about dominating men, mm. sexually, physically, intellectually. I mean, everything. So my rise in corporate America was mm-hmm. about dominating men. Mm taking them out one by one, having them work for me. Right. And even sexually, you know, since, you know, we're being honest, like even then it was like, I, if I ever had sex again, it was going to be on my terms Mm. and it was only sex. Like making love was foreign in my language. Mm -hmm. That was like weird. Like, what is that? They do that on soap operas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. And so that's what it was. It was, I, survive through dominating men through work and sex wow yeah I mean it was um and I think at some point I ran out of you know the alcohol was my Mm -hmm. fuel to Mm -hmm. make that happen and then when it all came together I was like I can't 
do this anymore. Like I just physically, emotionally, I was yeah. tired of, of it. Yeah, I imagine like to maintain such an energy of like, of because here's the thing, like wanting to to dominate, whether in your case it's men or maybe for somebody else, you know, it's something else you want to dominate in. But it's such a masculine energy. And for mm -hmm. a female to maintain this level of somehow some somewhat aggression, dominance, it takes up a lot of energy. Like it is not so uh. easy to maintain this. It needs a lot of fuel. And so like when you yes. say like alcohol has actually started to support you in that it like it somehow makes sense even though like it, it may sound mm -hmm. like very um yeah like difficult yeah. to process but like to, it makes total <laughs> sense yeah and this is not scientific right this is I'm doing work beyond what my psychiatrist and psychologist yeah. could have ever done you know because when you get to in a, a time where you can step out of your movie Mm -hmm. and watch it as an observer you have more compassion because it's like when you if you were to watch this story yeah. on a movie screen you would cry about it you would tweet about it yeah. you would tell your friends oh my gosh like you would emotionally you would have compassion yeah you wouldn't be like hating on me as the character no and so when so when you get to step out and an observer and watch your own movie then you do it and you do it from a place of compassion, mm -hmm. you can create and understand where all that came from instead of hating yourself for it, <laughs> yeah. you know? No, totally. Yeah. I think there's like two very important points that I just want to point out. Like, first of all, like you said, now uh, at 46 years old, like you're able to, you know, look back, reflect. And um, sometimes we just don't give ourselves time to reflect It's like, and I feel it's so important for, actually, like, the other week, just a friend told me, like, oh, I wish I had time for, you know, just thinking about what is it that I want. And I told her, like, this this time is not just going to come by itself. You actually have to make time. And even if it's a suppressed thing, like, just reflecting back, like you said, on what has happened, has that actually made you happy? You know, has it brought you to the place where you want to be and so on? Where do you want to go next? It's just so important. And yeah. um, then also like actually being, having this courage to be so, so honest with yourself and facing the truth, <laughs> but also allowing yourself to seeing it from a different perspective is so important. So thank yes. you for that. So, What do you think has then helped you really to change that story, to change that situation of your life to a place where mm -hmm. you actually uh, are able to feel like your true self in some way? Well, I think we you just said it before, and that is that the truth will set you free. Mm. So it's being honest with myself and having compassion for myself while being honest. But I think that, um, you know, changing the story is about making the decision whether or not you're going to be a victim or you're going to be the hero. Mm -hmm. And all of my actions, when I look back, were victim-oriented actions. I did this because of that. I did this because of my mom. I did this mm -hmm. because my dad said. I did this because, you know, or... And again, my parents are great parents, like, you know, but I, but still placing the blame on other people mm -hmm. for my actions. And so the first thing I had to do was accept 100% responsibility for exactly where I am in life today. Mm. And I do that every morning when I wake up, <laughs> every morning, my business and my personal, I do that. And so, um, And real quick, one really cool exercise mm -hmm. that your listeners can experiment with is do this thing, what I call soul writing. And you just mm -hmm. write from your soul, like all of the things. And when I say soul, I mean like your pen doesn't leave the paper. Mm -hmm. Even if you can't think about what to say next, you just keep writing. I don't know what to say next. Okay, here it comes. Now I'm going to write something and you just keep writing. Just let all of your thoughts, <laughs> you know, come out on paper And I spent one day and I wrote down all of the things 
that I accepted responsibility for. Like every mm. little thing, like all the way down to stealing a little piece of candy at the grocery store when I was a kid and not putting the five cents in the thing. Yeah. Like, you know, like all the things that I felt like I was paying for today. Mm. Car, like karma wise. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so sorry I did this. I'm so sorry I did that. I just said, I did this. I accept responsibility. Nobody told me I should have done it. The time that I fought with my sister and punched her in the stomach, that was not because she was mean to me. That was because I did it. And I just, because I was angry and I couldn't control my emotions and I didn't know how to communicate right. I just kept Mm. writing and writing. And it was like 15 pages front and back later. I was like, I'm done. (laughs) I'm done. I proclaim to the universe that I have accepted responsibility and I'm never going back to that moment again. That's all in the past. I can't rewrite that. And I just said, from now on, every day I'm going to say I'm responsible for my life. I'm responsible for my energy. I'm responsible for my business. I'm responsible Mm. for my bank account. I'm responsible for the emotions in my household. Like, how do I treat, you know? And so Mm -hmm. I started asking myself different questions that were not from a victim standpoint, which would be, oh, what happened today that I can blame somebody else for? (laughs) Instead, I show up and say, have I been inspiring today? Mm. Have I been, you know, you know, have I executed on the things that I said I was going to do? So that that's a huge part, that moment of decision of saying I am no longer going to be a victim Mm -hmm. to my life, including that. 14 year old BS incident, right? Mm-hmm. So, not going to beat myself up for it either. Just, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. So what meaning have you given that incident now, now looking back, mm-hmm. now being able to, you know, look at it from a different perspective? Yeah. So I was able to see those guys as teachers of mine. Mm-hmm. And while I could have learned less in a different way, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty stubborn. And um, nonetheless, I saw the lesson that I learned was that to never strive for acceptance, to just mm-hmm. stand in my own self. And what caused that situation was my needing to be accepted, mm-hmm. my needing to fit in mm-hmm. and my ego trying to tell me that I was, I needed that to be whole. Mm. And so my new meaning is that I'm not meant to fit in. None of us ever are. And so I just learned the hard way, you know, I just had to learn the hard way. And I know I'm not the only one that has made a decision like that just to fit in. So I think that that's the meaning I give it. And I'm grateful for having that lesson. Very grateful. And I am grateful for you mentioning this because, man, there's like so many people always watching, you know, all the stories, the pictures on Ugh. Instagram. I like I personally I hate it. Like all those always this pretty picture lives, you know, this is not real. But then it it like communicates to people like, you know, this is what you have to do. do <clears throat> this is who you have to be in order to feel happy, in order to feel achieved, to feel whatever it is you want to feel. So I love that you say, like, I actually don't have to fit in. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yes. But you know what? I still have to remind myself every day when I get on social media. I mean, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just about to say that I can go back to my original teacher Mm -hmm. and say, remember what happens when you try to fit in. Mm -hmm. You're not meant to fit in. You know, and the truth was, if you want to know the real truth, so I'm a strong person of faith, Mm -hmm. I believe the other, my faith based Mm -hmm. interpretation of that story. So whether you believe in God, Allah, Buddha, the universe, I don't really care, Mm -hmm. but no matter what, the brighter you shine, the more darkness is going to come take you out of circulation. Mm. Because when you shine bright and radiant, you're going to make a difference in the world. You're going to change other people's lives. You're going to bring happiness and inspiration and positivity and optimism to other people. And dark energy doesn't want that to happen. So that's all it was. It was an indication of just how bright I was shining Hmm. to send not just one guy to take me down, but four. And now I'm like, bring it on. Like, bring it. (laughs) So to me, it even it says you are just a light of the world and you 
must do everything it takes to continue to shine. And so when I get on social media Mm -hmm. and my light starts to dim because some other people look like they're doing better than me and I'm not a part of that picture or I'm not part of that crowd. I'm like, no, 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 that's not, if it's dimming your light, it's not good for you. Mm. So you either need to shut it off or go follow different people that are more authentic and real. I love that. So, I mean, is there any advice for you have for women who might go through a, a similar thing, whether it is, you know, sexual abuse or some kind of addiction? Like, is there some advice that you can give them on how to help themselves or how to get help? Like, what would be, like, mm-hmm. one thing that you could really say, like, girl, I know it's hard, but... Dot, yeah. Dot, dot. I would say be super careful of not labeling yourself hmm. as broken. Because when you start calling yourself broken because either you have an addiction that you can't control or somebody hurts you or if you start looking at yourself like you're damaged goods, mm-hmm. you can't you have to reverse that story. I mean, you quickly because that is that's at the not the point of no return but when you start looking at yourself in the mirror and you start walking around like you're damaged goods or you're broken you that's your message that's the sign from the universe that mm. you need to make a big fat u-turn in your life and you need to start seeing the meaning behind why what's going on in your life mm-hmm. so see people in experiences as teachers what do you need to learn Because if you don't start learning the lessons that your teachers are telling you, mm-hmm. then more is going to come at you, right? It's just like if you yeah. don't pass the third grade, if you don't learn the lesson, you're going to have to repeat it, right, over yeah. and over. And it's the same thing with life. And so number one, especially if you suffered any abuse or anything like that, I would say try to figure out what you could have learned with the most compassion, what could you have learned from that? Right. And then forgive, like, Mm. honestly, like, and genuinely try to forgive the people that hurt you. Because when you hold on to that, then how can anyone ever forgive you for your mistakes when you're holding this grudge against other people? So that's, and those things will turn into addiction, right? Addiction comes from relying on a substance to create a, an, an emotion that you can't generate on your own. Mm-hmm. That's my own definition. <laughs> and so if you can learn how to create the emotion that you want to create without the addiction, without the drug, then you won't need the drug anymore. Right. So, yeah. but if you keep telling yourself, so I think addiction can happen with, so when I quit drinking, mm-hmm. they, I went to a psychiatrist. And they labeled me with all of these things. They labeled me as bipolar. Mm-hmm. They labeled me as schizophrenic. They labeled me as having anxiety. They labeled me as having depression and as an insomniac. And they wow. gave me drugs for all five. Oh, my God. And an addict. So six. <laughs> so they gave me medication. I took 22 pills a day. Mm. You must be kidding me. And I had to have a spreadsheet to tell me when to take what and this much and that much. And over like six months, I had it. I tapered them down to fewer pills. But still about two years later, I was still taking um, anxiety meds and depression medication. And so then I was like, oh, my God, I got to get control of this. Now I've got to get control of yet another addiction. <laughs> And in that moment, I also decided I am not depressed. I do not have anxiety. This is all just stuff I, oh that my they God. tell you. Yeah. It's like, and now it's, yeah. yeah. It's, If you uh, know the power of neuro-linguistic programming and hypnosis and marketing and all of the things you watch on TV, we're being hypnotized to believe we are sick. I know. And the, like, the, like I've, this, this session is like so, so powerful, like, Because I, I had two, two cases of people um, having been labeled with depression. And so, mm. like, I, I love that, you know, therapists and psychiatrists are wanting to help people. 
But what really got me upset is that when my friend came to me and she said, you know, that I am ill, like I have an illness. They they labeled me that I like something is not right with me. Like I am mm-hmm. depressed and then or I'm I'm a depressed person. And I'm like, whatever her name is, I'm like, you are not sick. You're going through maybe a rough time in your life and there is a reason for it. But instead of giving right. you medication, and I mean, this is my personal point of view, right? So you can agree or disagree. But for me, like solving something like this, medication is just another substitute for alcohol. It's not going to solve anything. Right, right. At some point, you have to confront your problem. And if you're numb from your medication, you can't even go deep enough to find it. Right. Because the way it works on your brain is it literally numbs your brain yeah. to bypass pain, like emotional pain. And so you can't, how, if I were still on the level of medications, I don't take any medications now, zero, zip, nothing. And on occasion, I'll get this little feeling, this old little voice that says, oh, you're about to get on an elevator. You have anxiety. You don't like being around a lot of people. You're getting nervous. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I, my mind is my bitch. I Mm. tell it what to do. Right. And I'm just like, no, I love this elevator. I love being around people. I don't have, I don't even acknowledge anxiety anymore, you know, because anxiety, all it is, is fear of the unknown. Yeah. And so I'll look around and go, everything is known to me. As a matter of fact, I'm actually even in a more known space because I'm in an elevator. It's only like eight by eight. So it's really small. (laughs) There's four people in it. I know exactly who's in it. I know it's going up or down. I, there's nothing unknown. Yeah. I have this conversation with myself in my head and then it happens really, really fast. And then boom, I'm out. Like I don't have that problem anymore. And so while I still think that sure in a, some instances, depression can be a disease for some people, mm. especially with ma- massive, you know, PTSD mm. and whatever. But if you go back to the newness that you were when you were born. Mm-hmm. And then you trace those footsteps and before anyone told you anything, before you experienced any trauma. Um, if you lived a fairly decent life until you were six and you experienced some level of love, mm-hmm. you have hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you were left out in the cold, like some of the babies are in Russia, for instance, right? Left out in the cold and with no love for weeks and you barely, it's a godsend that you even survived. That's a whole nother story. We're not talking about that, right? We're talking about people who generally had love and acceptance and that's a whole nother population. We're talking about 70% of the world. That's who you and I are talking about. There's a whole nother 30% that we're not even able to discuss intelligently, right? But But I think like just raising, you know, I just want to raise people's awareness to it. Like when you go to a doctor and they, like you said, they label you with something and they advise you to take medication for it. Just like hold still for a moment and really ask yourself if this is really true. If this is the only way, you know, to go about it. That's all I'm saying. Because like you said, Mm -hmm. once you have accepted, internalized this label as like a part of you, then it's getting much more difficult to become aware to you know change it and to start this whole process especially by yourself yes and psychologists and psychiatrists while I'm extremely grateful for mine um, because I didn't have to go into a treatment center I was able to rehab out of my house I noticed the time when it wasn't serving me anymore Mm. and I was able to cut that off right but If you have a doctor that wants you to keep coming back and keeps prescribing and doesn't Mm. continue, you know, to give you new ways to reinvent yourself, then that's a problem. Mm. Find a new doctor. (laughs) So, yeah. So um, let's shift gears a little bit here. Um, So once you you went to to the doctor, you were diagnosed with or she told you about the situation with your kidney, you started to Mm. make more conscious, you know, changes in your lives. Like now you're working, um, as a, as a supernatural, um, life coach. And so Mm -hmm. 
how did you get started on this? Like, how did you even find out about mm -hmm. this? What has guided you to, you know, towards this totally new direction from corporate America, being vice president at a, at a, at a big company to like starting out as your own boss? Yeah. Well, first off, it was realizing what caused me pain. Mm. So when I finally had my head clear, I realized that my that what pain I had left, right, was when I had to travel and be away from my children. Mm. When because I traveled because to do all this work, I traveled four or five days a week. Mm -hmm. I've flown over a million miles oh on God. American Airlines. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's a, I mean, I've traveled a lot and. I realized that, you know, caused me pain. Um, and so I was like, I've got to really redesign my life. I need to, you know, kind of take control of this. And so slowly I started doing online courses and I made my first purchase for like a $597 course. And to me at the time, like my palms were sweating. I was like, I don't even know this guy. Like, <laughs> I can't believe I'm hitting this button. I mean, that was a lot of to not even know what I was going to get. And yeah. I'm like, my palms are sweating now remembering <laughs> the moment. And, um, and then making the investment to go to Tony Robbins, like, mm. Oh my God, I'm going to fly across the country and then I'm going to pay for this ticket. And, oh, you know, and, and then, so starting to make those initial investments just to learn about what were my options? Mm. What, what is this whole world about? And how can I create a business around that? And so the first thing I did was, I stayed within what I knew better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. And that's why in my bio, it says I'm a sales guru mm -hmm. because I know how to sell. And so I didn't try to create something brand new out of the clouds. I mm -hmm. didn't try to say I was the personal development expert because I wasn't yet in, but I was the expert at selling and I knew with confidence I could become a coach in that area. Mm -hmm. And so I started a sales consulting business and then through that, I subsidized mm -hmm. financially my personal development courses and mm -hmm. learning more about myself. And as I uncovered myself and had more and more opportunities to help others, I was like, that's where I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm supposed to be helping individuals, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, so I transitioned my business over to helping individuals and, after I had acquired all of the tools and the training and, you know, everything else that I need. Now I still wasn't ready. I still went out there and just did it. Um, and, but I think just staying true to myself and having these honest conversations has been like, that's the best marketing is just being authentic and mm. being who you are and people will come to you and trusting in that. So, um, it's been pretty awesome. It's been a journey. You know, there have been several times where I had to go back to work. And mm. get a, you know, for a real job. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that taught me different lessons. Like, oh, we all know for sure I don't want to be working for another company, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, or, but, you know, in those times. So, you know, there's always that time where you're like, you get a little nervous and scared about starting your own business. And then you go back to where you're comfortable mm -hmm. and you try to do both. And so it's this kind of journey I've been through over the years. I love that you're mentioning that because um, also I feel like so many people want to start out something by themselves or something their own, but this fear of letting go this, let's say the security of a job or having this yeah. idea, like I had it for a long time also, like, you know, just you, you need to quit and then you need to hustle hard and just, you know, work all day and then eventually like you will make it. But it's just so much more complex than that. And I feel yes. like people need to hear that, you know, it's also okay to take your time. You don't need to right away quit your job. Just, you know, mm -hmm. start out the way that is most, you know, feels most suitable or, you know, comforting to yourself. Because it doesn't serve you if you quit your job and then you're all stressed out about, man, I have to survive somehow. Yeah. And then I know. you're going to start acting out of a place of fear. So there's always mm -hmm. multiple ways of getting to your goal. And um, it, I love the fact that uh, you also mentioned that you had to go back to your job. It's also fine. Yes, but it is. <laughs> there are these images of, you know, like this perfect perfection in every kind of sense. I know. It's such a big bullshit. <laughs> it's, it is. 
It's total bullshit. And um, a lot of it is. And, you know, that's why I don't want any of your listeners to go look at my website and be like, wow, you know, she looks great. Look at all her pretty pictures and all this stuff. I mean, I had to make sacrifices in between. And yeah, I did have to go back to what I knew. Mm -hmm. And I'm very fortunate that I have a reputation in my industry to be able to always get to go back. Mm -hmm. But you said it just right. When you have pressure, financial pressure in your life, and you have scarcity mindset around money mm-hmm. and and your business, you can't attract more people. You your energy, your vibrational energy mm-hmm. is just not high enough to create a lucrative or a sustainable mm-hmm. business. And so if that is the sacrifice you have to make and you have to work a job and then work late hours mm-hmm. at night or early mornings on a blog or whatever to get your thing going, then that's what you need to do. And you need to give yourself permission to do that, you know, and not judge yourself or condemn yourself mm. for having not been so successful because the truth is, you know, you have to do what you need to do to take care of your family. Yeah. And for like, for me, sometimes it's like, when I did go back, it was great because it gave me some relief and it gave mm. me extra capital and money to put right back into my business. Yeah. I just had to work more, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, you know, you can work really, really smart yeah, and exactly. at a job, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people who seem really, really successful in their coaching business, mm-hmm. I know some of the people out there the truth is they're really successful in their multi-level marketing business. Mm. So they might be million dollar producers in their multi-level marketing yeah. business, which is great. Kudos to them. Like that's great. But as coaches, they're still $75,000 yeah. a year coaches. Mm-hmm. They got, they have a ways to go. And so don't be, know that, I will say this, the people who do show up and look like they're doing something with their business are, they are hustling. They are working, you know, um, but most of them are. And I know some of them because they, I can't even reach them on text and they're really good friends of mine, Mm -hmm. you know, because they're so busy. Um, But that's one of the things that I've been really striving for is to create a business because remember what causes me pain is being away from my kids. Yeah. So I'm not going to create a hustle, a hustle in air quotes that is going to take me away from what's really important. So everything comes back to my original values. And so money and this and that, that, you know, will never overcome the main values that I that I carry with me. So and I I think that's really important. Yeah, I think like having your priorities straight and clear. It's like a great just like kind of uh, guidance or boundary like for everything that you want to do. Because like you said, if having XYZ job or business venture or whatever it is, like taking away time from something that matters more to you, then Mm -hmm. just don't do it. You know, just listen to your gut feeling in that sense. Yeah, exactly. So... You've took your business, though, like regardless of having to go back to a job or not, but you've mm-hmm. scaled your business quite successfully up mm-hmm. until today. What are some of the steps you think you took that were the biggest contributor to actually make it successful, especially to the yeah. six figure level? So number one, it was there's a lot, but number one is don't put what you're willing to pay on what other people are willing to pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like if I, you know, so like when you start your own business, you might be like, well, when I first started coaching, getting a coach, I didn't have enough money. And so I could only pay a hundred dollars an hour or a hundred dollars a session or, you know, and then, so when you create your business, after you've done all this work and you've invested all this money and you start saying, oh, I remember whenever I first started, I could only pay this. Mm -hmm. And then you create your pricing structure around that, then you're going to be broke. Mm. (laughs) Because you have to remember that you're getting paid for the value you bring. So you have to look at your services and your experience. And so your experience is the value that you bring. And so if you bring an experience to me, Olga, that I have never experienced before, that's valuable. Yeah. It's worth what it means to me, not what it means to you. So that's Mm. important. Number two, know what you're worth per hour. Mm -hmm. So 
in let that change. So when I first started, I was like, you know what, if I make, and I'll be completely transparent, yeah. if I make two fifty an hour, mm-hmm. then that's worth it to me. Mm-hmm. And that's worth the sacrifice of being away from my family and this and that and the other. And so I was like, that's my worth per hour. Um, my worth per hour is 10 times that now mm-hmm. <laughs> because over time, but it's not just how I price my services. Mm-hmm. It's how do I manage my time? Mm. So is this activity worth my time? Yeah. Like, cause if I do this, then that's not, and I'm not earning that much money, then that's not worth my time. I need to hire somebody else to do that. So even if it's, um, and so I think that's really important is know what you're worth per hour so that you can make the decisions about your lifestyle and your business Mm. all the time. Um, And then the other is the biggest thing that helped scale my business is not to try so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Every time I, I don't. Totally, so I totally weird. get it. It's like, <laughs> it's so weird, but you know, it's like when I show up, giving you what I think you want. Yeah. Then it's not authentic. Like you somehow can see through that. I don't know. Even if subconsciously you're not even doing that, but if I give you what I uniquely can provide you. Yeah. From the soul then you can't resist it. Mm-hmm. And and if I let go of any expectation of the outcome, mm-hmm. like, so when I first started as a coach, I would do con- strategy sessions, 30-minute mm-hmm. strategy sessions, and I would do like 10 or 15, sometimes 20 a week. And I would be like, <laughs> I would be like bitter if somebody didn't sign up with me after I spent 30 minutes because honestly, I would end up spending like an hour or two hours because like, I just wanted them to have yeah. this miraculous breakthrough when all they really wanted was attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I put all this pressure on like, well, they need to sign up. And then I don't even do strategy so- sessions anymore. Mm. I mean, I do, but only with people who are like referred to me, who mm. know exactly what they want. Not just people who want attention. Mm-hmm. Like if you try to message me on Facebook after this call, I probably won't answer. Two years ago, I would have been right on top of it. I wouldn't have missed you. I would have scheduled a strategy yeah. session. I would have rearranged my whole life. My kids would have ate McDonald's for dinner just so I could talk to you and do a strategy session. No, no, no. Mm. I don't do that anymore because it's desperate. Yeah. And so when you show up desperate, you attract desperate. Mm, I love that. Mm. So the key is is to show up as the person you want to attract mm-hmm. in your, in, as your client. And so those are the big shifts that I made. And it's easier, I think, said than done. But hopefully that'll help your listeners make progress faster in their business. Because no one told me that. I had to figure that out all by myself. And so, yeah, nobody told me that. I was like, hey, wait, my business is doing way better. What am I doing differently? Mm -hmm. What's working? And what, you know, and what would you um, recommend somebody who's just like, you know, on the edge, who are the, those of us who are like, who, who know that they're not fulfilled in their job, most likely in a corporate job and mm-hmm. uh, are thinking about, you know, wanting to do something different, maybe a business, like what are some of some advice or some tips that you can give those people on starting out, like what to consider or maybe, um, yeah, yeah things do you just need to do. Yeah. Number one, I would say do an inventory of all of your skills. Mm. And I mean, be your number one fan when you (laughs) do it. You know, like be like your mom, like if your mom (laughs) described you to her best friends, like in everything. And then so list all of your skills and then do an inventory of all of your experiences in Mm. life. And the value that you can bring is going to be some combination of those Mm -hmm of that mixture to whatever you do, because that is what makes you unique. That is the only something you already have a competitive advantage. That is your competitive advantage. Um, And then do an inventory of all of the things that you love doing Mm -hmm. because God in the universe placed inside of you a desire to do something when you were really little 
something that you thought was super fun and you played pretend and like I used to play teacher and preacher. <laughs> okay. So it's like, look at me now. Preaching oh it, sister. I'm preaching, girl. <laughs> and so it's so like, look at those. Did you used to bake? Did you used to love that, you know, fixing people's hair? Like, what did you love back yeah. then? And so it's a combination of your skills, your experiences, and what you loved doing when you were like six, seven, eight years old. What brought you so much joy? What it, If you can't remember, some people can't. Go ask your mom and dad. What did mm. I used to do? What did I play pretend? What did I enjoy? Um, and so it's a combination of those things. The second thing is you have to come up with a plan. Mm. Because if you just keep saying, I can hang in there. I can turn around this job. I'll figure it out. One day you're going to get so frustrated and then you're just going to quit. Mm. And then you're going to have nothing. Yeah. So take ownership of this thing and come up with a 90 day plan. This is my exit strategy. Mm. Not to mention the fact, if you can't create an exit strategy, you have no business running a business. Yeah. Because every business is built, should be built with the intention to exit. Mm. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And so build your own. This is a time where you're getting paid to build your exit strategy. Somebody else is paying your tab to create the strategy. So what needs to happen? Get your systems in place. Start getting clients. Start um, figuring out who you can collaborate with. Collaborations is a great way to start a business really fast. Mm. Find somebody else who's wanting to do the same thing and go in together. That way you're sharing the field at first, you know, Um, and you have a buddy to support you because doing it all alone is pretty scary, you know? So you want to build your, a community that can support you and you want to get on YouTube, like Google, I mean, (laughs) and, or search on YouTube, easiest companies to start blah, you know, like get familiar with drop shipping, go on shopify.com, write a book, write an ebook. I don't know. Join a network marketing company, whatever. Network marketing is good. It won't yield you a ton of results right off the bat, Mm. but there are so many ways, so many ways that you can start building a business. Yeah. You know, actually just today, my husband and I were talking, you know, about, you know, people somehow get stuck in like the corporate, like if they're only familiar with the corporate world, the only other options are other jobs other companies other jobs whatever but like you said there is like so like a sea of 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 different opportunities out there you just need to take the step to just allow yourself to just explore a bit and find you know what could suit you I didn't know coaching existed but I just like you I just took courses I took a master class here and there and then I was like what is this like I didn't even know it existed but you just have to put yourself out there and just explore like if you would go like travel somewhere and just see what's, yeah. what's, what's out there available. Exactly. Exactly. And then it's really important to not make it more complicated than it is. Mm. You know, I mean, this is where it goes back to knowing your worth. If you're worth $250 an hour, why are you working a $50 an hour job? Yeah. Most people are making after taxes $50 an hour. Yeah. Why would you do that? So you have to get leverage on yourself that says, no more. I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. I'm worthy. Yeah. But until you realize that you're worthy of more, you better stay where you are. Mm. Because it takes the worthiness to attract people to you. Yeah. If you don't feel worthy, if I didn't feel worthy of charging what I charge for co- coaching services, I wouldn't have a client. Yeah, Nobody would pay sense me. That. And people can yeah. sense that. Yeah. And so it's really more of a journey of it's not a don't look at it at it as I need to leave my job. Mm. I'm so I'm not fulfilled. Look, answer. Why aren't you fulfilled? Use the time while you're on somebody else's payroll to answer. What do I need to be fulfilled in life? Don't quit and then try to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> figure out what is it that you really want and what is it that you really need to be fulfilled? And once you have that kind of mapped out, along with your skills, along with your education, along with your experiences, along with 
you know, you combine all of that to get along with that you liked making mud pies when you're a little kid. Mm -hmm. You take all, that's like the formula. Like that equals what you should do. Mm -hmm. Otherwise you'll run out and you'll go start some random business and then you'll be just as unfulfilled as you were, but yet you won't have the stable paycheck or the insurance benefit. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And that's why people go back. Yeah. Because they're like, oh no, I, that's why I went back because I was doing these 30 minute sessions that turned Mm -hmm. into an hour or two hours just to please other people work sitting on the floor in my bedroom to like 10 or 11 PM to accommodate people all over the world just to get nothing. And that wasn't fulfilling. Yeah. I was still out there trying to please other people. I wanted a, a business. So I had to go back and retreat and go, what, what is it I really want? I want to own my job. I want to command the presence mm. of the clients who come to me. You know, I want to stand in an energetic presence that attracts anything and everything I want to me at any given point in time. So I had to focus on my energy. Mm. You know, if you leave your, your day job as a victim to your day job, you got no energy. So you have to work on some of those things first. Wow. And um, so how would you say, like, ever since you were able to step into that, you know, let's say the shoes of the of the version that you wanted to show up as, like the energy that you wanted to attract also, you know, vice versa. Um, Yeah, let's say how much easier or faster. I don't even know if you can quantify it, but like what has shifted from your point of view in the business side ever since you're able to like Mm -hmm. really be present the way you want to be? Um, So when you look at the map of subconsciousness of like energy, the energy map Mm -hmm. um, and the lowest form of energy is like despair. Right. And the highest is enlightenment and joy. Mm. That's like Buddha's up there, you know, Jesus and stuff. You know, it's like they're just walking on air. The the breaking point between the low energy and the high energy, the point where you start to get out of negative energy is courage. Mm. So I love that <laughs> courage. You have to have courage to make the change. You have to have courage to step out and, you know, and take that little risk. You have to have courage and what I call faith, which I have tattooed on my arm. Mm -hmm. So I never forget because faith is believing in the unseen. Courage is stepping into your faith. Mm -hmm. That's what changes your energetic vibration. That's what fundamentally will shift everything because the universe doesn't reward people who know exactly what they're getting into all the time. It keeps you comfortable. But it doesn't give you the big stuff, you know? And so that's a really big um, piece of it. And then courage is also having the courage to be who you are and not care if somebody doesn't want to do business with you. Be willing to send somebody away if Mm -hmm. they're not a good fit for you. So I used to accept clients regardless if I wanted them or not. Yeah. And... Because I wanted to serve them, but they didn't, there was no reciprocity. They weren't doing anything back for me. Mm-hmm. They were just like, you know, taking my energy. Yeah, I know that. Right? You know that, right? It's the, the curse of the new coach is, is just taking clients because you just want to help them out of their pain. But yet they don't do anything with the advice you give. They pay you very little because they're victims. Mm. Right? And so, and it's okay, we can help some victims only if they're willing to shift out of that mindset. But courage is having the courage to say, you know what, I really could use that $10,000 in my bank account now, but not with you. (laughs) Because if you don't work around high energy people, then you will be, you become the average. You can also become the average of your clients. Yeah. Right? If you're around... 50 clients that are low energy by physics and what the universe says, you will become an average of the people you surround yourself with. So you better amp that up with some high energy mentors or something, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I see this because I actually coach preachers and pastors. Oh, and I see that. And I don't charge for that because that's my ministry. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. But they are always dealing with victims 
people lower energy. Mm. And so I coach them to, I kind of bring them a new force of energy that gets them pumped back up. Mm. Cause if I don't, then they'll, they can't raise money for their church. Yeah. It's the same thing. So, um, yeah, I think courage is definitely the shifting point at some point because courage is linked to your worthiness. And when you believe that you're worthy of a better future, a better destiny, mm-hmm. something that is greater above and beyond that you're able to see and you step into that, that's when things start to happen for you. And, and that's the tricky part. <laughs> and I love the word courage so much because courage in the end really means, you know, listening to your heart, really, because cur is like from French hard. And so that's it's right. really just going back to your heart and, you know, really like staying true really to, to who you are. Like you said, the six year old self and the the things that you loved back then and all the all that kind of stuff. It's just like being like really just listening to yourself, to your true self. That's like what I why I love this word courage so much. So yeah. to to um, wrap things up, I, I always like to ask this this final question. So when you if you were able to give your six year old self like three nuggets of wisdom because tomorrow was going to be like your last day, but you could mm-hmm. leave that message with her. What are three things that you would like to tell her where, you know, like this would help her, you know, master life in a way that you would love. Mm. I would say first and foremost, never ever dim your light for anybody. Mm. Never play small just to make somebody else feel better. Um, number two, I would say what you see is not always about you. Mm-hmm. Um, people's reactions to you sometimes are just because of their own pain, not, and it has nothing to do with you at all. So I would say that because I think that can make you change over time. Mm. Um, and number three, I would say because it took me a while to kind of figure it out, but I would remind her that she has royalty in her blood, Mm. you know, as a child of God and a descendant of Jesus, like there is absolutely nothing that she can't do or have as long as she keeps her light shining bright. So those would be the three things. So pretty. And (laughs) no, it's just like, I, I like it because it's just going back to, yeah, the purest self. So, yeah. oh my God, Jolyn, really, I think like <laughs> you provided so much value. Like you've been really like an open book and I really appreciate that so much. I hope people who have listened, really listened well and got some great things out of for themselves. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing yeah. all your experience and um, for being such an inspiration and for shining your light so brightly. <laughs> It was my pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you so much for tuning into the Thrive Podcast and spending your precious time with us. If you found this episode valuable and think that others could benefit from it too, please share it with your network, friends, and family. I would also be forever grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave us an honest review about the show. And if you have a comment, question, or topic that you would like to see covered on the show, go to algamuller.com slash thrivepodcast. So see you next week, girl. And until then, don't forget that you were meant to thrive.